0: All right, we got one more hour left of today's Spears and Ali. Uh, we're getting cut off at 5 o'clock because of uh, some basketball coming your way here. Uh, but we do have a jam-packed hour number two of Spears and Ali. Jordan Hamp from Sports 360 AZ calls in at 425 to share his thoughts on National Signing Day, and he'll give us his impressions on the Arizona Wildcats and the ASU Sun Devils. ASU, very active on the recruiting trail since hiring Kenny Dillingham, and they pretty much damn near doubled Arizona's class. They're bringing in so many prospects in the first year under Kenny Dillingham. Uh, We'll get Jordan Ham's thoughts on that. Plus, we'll talk about his uh, Terrell Suggs documentary. He did a really amazing job on this T-Sizzle doc that I think a lot of uh, football fans will appreciate. So, Jordan Ham joining us at 425, and then we'll uh, take a look around the NFL and discuss why the Pro Bowl is just awful entertainment, especially this year. And then we'll talk about the legacy of Tom Brady and who stands the legacy. Who stands as the potential next greatest of all time? I don't mean to go first take on you today, Andrew. <laughs> We're gonna talk about legacies. Yeah. Where does Tom Brady's legacy rank among other legacies? Now I know that that's how you know first take has become nowadays, but uh, you know Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. There's no doubt about it. Let's
1: first take the tumbler of ESPN.
0: Maybe. I don't (laughs) don't know. (laughs) I do got to say, though, I'm not going to hate on first take, but I don't watch it like I used to. I mean, I used to wake up every single morning and watch Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith go at it. It was actually entertaining. And then they broke up, and Skip continued his hatred for LeBron James. I don't know why. Like, he's made a living off of just hating LeBron. And then Stephen A. Smith is just the the loud personality that grabs your attention and unfortunately he doesn't have that counterpart to make wild or entertaining tv so i just haven't really been a big fan of those sports talk shows lately but i don't know hey they make they make millions of dollars they ha- they make salaries that i want to make at some point in my career so who am i to hate but anyways i digress let's talk some arizona wildcats basketball uh, appreciate all of you guys by the way for uh, submitting your responses Or submitting emails to me and complimenting my McHale Center project. Uh, I had a lot of people uh, reach out to me uh, on my Arizona Daily Star email account. And uh, they were very complimentary of uh, the work that I did for this McHale Center project. And what's crazy is when I was doing it, there were so many cool things that I learned about McHale Center. Like Al Fleming, by the way. He's going to be inducted into the Ring of Honor tonight when Arizona takes on Oregon. But Al Fleming scored 41 points. I knew that aspect, but he did it against Detroit. Detroit was coached by longtime ESPN College broadcaster Dick Vitale. So to see that connection, I learned something new when I was doing this project. And Al Fleming also has the most points in McHale Center by an Arizona Wildcat. The most points in McHale Center by an opponent? Well, that belongs to Mr. Jimmer Fredette, who dropped 49 points on the Wildcats in 2009, I think that was Sean Miller's first season. So um, some other weird things that have happened at McHale Center as well in its 50 years of existence. Um, I received a compliment on the Chase Buttinger game when Arizona, they were down to Houston. They were trailing Houston. And it was at a point in the season where they were playing Houston just because they had ASU on the schedule and they wanted to even things out. So they were playing Houston on a, like a Saturday afternoon at McHale Center and Arizona was losing to the Cougars and it looked like Arizona was about to lose their fourth in a row and their NCAA tournament streak was going to come to an end and then all of a sudden Aubrey Coleman from Houston steps on Chase Buttinger's face Chase Buttinger goes for a loose ball he's laying on the ground and Aubrey Coleman decides I'm going to step on Chase Buttinger's face he really did a good job making it seem like he was on accident he didn't look at Chase Budinger when he did it, but you could tell it was totally on purpose. Chase Budinger steps up, gets into Aubrey Coleman's face. There was a little kerfuffle, and then it ended up in Arizona overcoming a 10-point deficit with a minute left to go. They beat Houston in overtime, and that game right there sparked a seven-game winning streak, and it ultimately saved Arizona's season that year with Russ Pinnell as a head coach, as the interim head coach. And Arizona was able to keep their streak alive. They went to the Sweet 16 Got lucky in the second round. They were supposed to play Pitt or something like that, and they ended up playing Norris Cole and Cleveland State. And then Arizona finds themselves in the Sweet 16, and they get smoked by Louisville. But, again, like that moment happened at McHale Center. The Chase Buttinger getting his face stepped on. You know, that's pretty cool. And then, you know, you look at the other sports. Dave Rubio getting his 500th win, uh, beating number one ranked UCLA. The women's basketball team beating Stanford for the first time in – like 24 tries in 1998, which was close to the 25th anniversary of McHale Center at that time. Just so many cool moments. And again, if you want to share with us your favorite McHale Center memory, you're more than welcome to do so by calling in at 719-1490, 719-1490. What is your favorite McHale Center memory? Or what's one memory that maybe nobody's really talking about when it comes to the 50th anniversary? 719-1490 is that phone number uh one memory when this is kind of a sour memory for Arizona basketball fans My God, you're is i always doing this I know system. I know come on I man. got I got to humble you guys I got to humble Arizona basketball fans yes or you, you guys build us up yes you guys have had some great moments but you've also had some disappointing losses like 2015-16 season when they lost to Oregon and the Oregon Ducks snapped a 49 home game winning streak and that was really when I realized, man, this this Dylan Brooks guy, he's kind of a villain. He's kind of just a guy that you love to hate a little bit. Um and sure enough, he became that guy at Oregon. Uh the, the next season, he was one of the top Pac twelve players in in the conference. I mean, I, th- I think he was actually Pac twelve player of the year, if I'm not mistaken, during that season. And Oregon was really good. Dylan Brooks was their best player, and he was so cocky and so arrogant. Again, he was a guy that you absolutely love to hate. And then you couple in the fact that he flops like nobody's business. I mean, you go back, just look up Dylan Brooks versus Utah. Oregon versus Utah. The flop that he had in that game is one of the worst flops you will ever see in basketball history. Dylan Brooks is the owner of one of the worst flops I've ever seen in basketball history. And now now he's with the Memphis Grizzlies and he's the one of the biggest villains in the NBA right now. Again, he's another guy that that you absolutely love to hate and here he is talking in in the locker room about, "Oh, we we really shut down LeBron James. We were, you know, forcing him to go left the the whole game." Just minutes after losing to the Los Angeles Lakers and blowing a lead to them. Um so Again, a guy that you love to hate. But Dylan Brooks dropped 24 points against Arizona in 2016 when Arizona snapped their 49 home game winning streak. And Oregon, ever since that season, has had Arizona's number. Arizona against Oregon since 2015 and 16, they are 3-11 against the Ducks. Dana Altman has had Arizona's number. And I remember when Dana Altman was first hired and he was... You know, trying to get Oregon into being a contender year in and year out in the Pac twelve. And I'll never forget this moment. I think he said this at the Pac twelve tournament. And it might have been when Arizona beat Oregon or no, excuse me, when Oregon beat Arizona in the two thousand sixteen Pac twelve tournament, poor Mark Tollison. The guy had a chance to be the hero and make his mark on the program, but he missed a free throw. The game went into overtime and Oregon ended up winning. Uh, but I'll never forget when Dana Altman took the stage. And was addressing beating Arizona. And he said, you know, for so many years, anytime we went on the recruiting trail, we would always ask recruits, can you help us beat Arizona? They're the standard of the Pac-12 right now. Can you help us beat them? And then he developed some teams that ended up being Arizona. The Ducks, are, like I said, are 11-3 and three against Arizona since the 2015-16 season. Um, and one of those losses, or one of those wins, I should say, for Oregon against Arizona was earlier this season in Eugene. Um, In Arizona, they just looked so out of sorts in that game. And I know it's really tough to win on the road in the Pac-12. I mean, it's tough to win on the road, period. But in the Pac-12, man, it is really hard. But in that game against Oregon, Arizona got a pissed-off Dana Altman, and they got a pissed-off Oregon team. Because just a couple of days prior to that game, Oregon got housed at home by ASU. ASU has not been the same team since then. They've been really tumbling down the Pac-12 standings since then. Andrew, I know you're not too upset about that, but just thought I should throw that out there. In Um, fact,
1: that that makes up for you pouring salt in every wound that Arizona basketball has ever had.
0: ASU's losing a handful of games. Uh, And they're they're definitely, you know, you hear teams hit their fifth gear right around this time. ASU went down to, like, gear two. Uh, They're they're not rolling right now. They they're they're they struggling got some transmission issues. They're just they're pedaling but they're not going anywhere. But ASU completely dominated Oregon on that Thursday game. And then Oregon turns around and Dana Altman made a great lineup change. He said, "We need to shake some things up. I'm going to make a change." So what did he do? He put in Jermaine Kuznard, the transfer from South Carolina, who led the Gamecocks in scoring last season. Ever since he came over to Oregon, he's been battling a knee injury, and he missed significant amount of time in non-conference play. And then he has a couple games under his belt. He's coming off the bench. Air Oregon loses badly to ASU, and Dana Hallman's like, all right, I got to shake some things up. Kuznard, you're in. Nate Biddle, you're pushing seven feet tall. We need your size against Arizona's front court." Both of you guys are in, and it worked out. Nate Biddle had 10 points, I think six rebounds last time they played against Arizona. And then Jermaine Kuznard, starting, I think it was his first start of the season, he finished with 27 points. That's a uh, career high for him. I feel, I feel like a lot of guys always have career highs against Arizona. It's, it's always weird always ha- how that works the best shot, Well, man. that's what I'm saying. Like, you're the hunted, man. And when you're at Arizona, man, you're going to get every team's best shot. And certainly, Arizona, when they played against Oregon and Eugene, they got Oregon's best shot because they were pissed off about their loss to ASU. And it was a home matchup. It was just a – all the things didn't bode well for Arizona. And then one minute into the game, you got poor Kirk getting absolutely posterized by Enfilly Dante who is usually their starting center, but he moved to power forward. Philly Dante and Nate Biddle, I think they did a really good job of guarding Arizona's bigs in the second half. Umar ball and Azul is only combined for six points in the second half. Those two guys are Arizona's bread and butter. And when you shut those guys down, okay, now you make Arizona one-dimensional. Let's see how the guard play is doing. Oh, Kirk Kreese has shot two for ten from three-point range in that game. Courtney Ramey had... A quiet double figure posting. And then Pella Larson uh, was also struggling in that game, too. And remember, Pella Larson was starting at that point in time. Since then, he's been moved down to the bench. He's been in his sixth-man role and has really thrived off it. Yes, he had a quiet game against Washington on Saturday. But has really done a great job as that sixth-man guy for Arizona. And has been that consistent veteran presence off the bench for the Arizona Wildcats. They need consistency ...from their bench production, and they're also getting more consistency from a guy like Kylan Boswell... ...off the bench, and those are the only two guys that Tommy Lloyd is relying on right now on the bench. He's really tightening up his bench to really just seven guys, uh, which could really spell trouble for Arizona... ...because usually in the tournament, man, you want as many bodies available as possible, and if Arizona's only rolling seven deep... uh, ...I'm a little concerned about that, but hey, if they get the job done, they get the job done, and Tommy Lloyd trusts these seven guys... But ever since Arizona lost to Oregon, a couple of things have changed. Umar Balo has gotten better and healthier from his uh, little illness. I wouldn't say little illness. He had a a very serious illness that hospitalized him three times. He's gotten better since then. Azul Tubelas has been an absolute double-double machine since then. Kerr Krisa had a great weekend shooting this past weekend on the road against the Washington schools. And Cordy Ramey continues to play better basketball. So Arizona is a complete different team Today, compared to when they played the Oregon Ducks a few weeks ago in Oregon. But Oregon, always a tough bout. So, this is going to be a handful for Arizona. But I'm excited for tonight's game. And, you know, if you're an Arizona fan, get used to this game. Get used to this matchup. Because UCLA, going to the Big Ten, they're scared of us. We're not going to have the luxury of watching Arizona versus UCLA. On a yearly basis, after next season, that's going to go bye-bye. And unfortunately, we got to look for another conference rival. Is it going to be ASU? I mean, I don't think so. I think Bobby Hurley has really hit his ceiling at ASU. They can't. Yeah, you don't They say. they can't really go anywhere. <laughs> like ASU is just treading water right now, and I think Bobby Hurley's days are numbered. And I don't really blame Bobby Hurley for all their struggles. Have you seen ASU's arena? They have terrible facilities. They cannot compete among the top college basketball programs just in terms of facilities. I mean, I was just walking around the the concourse at Desert Financial Arena, and lights were flickering. Huh. They it, it looked like just an old timey arena that like just a, it looked like a dump.
1: Like a like a uh, YMCA.
0: Pretty much, like yeah. Hmm.
1: And they ASU can't
0: compete with that. I don't blame. Nothing
1: them. against YMCA. Just, for, just but, want to say that. Yeah, <laughs> but you're also
0: not a, a college Division one college basketball program that yeah. plays at the Power Five level. Um, I don't ASU's not that rival. So who's next in line? It's got to be Oregon. If UCLA is going to the Big Ten, who is Arizona's next big rival? And I think for right now, it's Oregon. But maybe, just maybe, Gonzaga joins as a basketball only conference member, and if Gonzaga joins the Pac-12 as a basketball-only school, Tommy Lloyd versus Mark Few, Tommy mm. Lloyd coaching against Gonzaga for many years, man. Iron sharpens iron. Sign me up, man. And, you know, Gonzaga, they're not going anywhere. As long as Mark Few's there, they're going to be a top five, top ten team for many years to come. So Drew Timmy's probably got like nine more years <laughs> he's of, got, he's of got. eligibility. Well, yeah. No, no. I had that COVID year. Remember that? So I'm going to come back for my ninth year. Yeah, yeah. Man's getting a doctorate in playing college basketball at yeah, the same yeah. time. Timmy, it's it's twenty forty five. You gotta leave. Drew Timmy's in that same category as like Perry Ellis. Yeah. Those guys that have been at their schools for ten years. All right, coming up next on Spears and Ali, Jordan Ham going to talk National Signing Day in his Terrell Suggs documentary. Stay tuned more Spears and Ali coming up next. Spears and Ali back on this beautiful Thursday afternoon on ESPN radio a great friend of ours who always joins the show and we always appreciate him and love him dearly jordan ham from sports 360 az jordan i told you this a couple of days ago but got to make it public happy belated birthday my friend
2: thank you my friend and that feeling is mutual i always love coming on with you guys
0: i appreciate you man and uh so so tell us how does jordan ham celebrate a birthday
2: this past one was a little different um I was uh face to face with some Terrell Suggs footage for about twelve hours as we uh <laughs> put the finishing touches on on part the second and final part of our uh Terrell Sugg's documentary so it was a little different um than than most years but um you know especially before the uh NFL added that extra playoff week uh the waste management open always lined up with my birthday weekend so that was always a good time we'd always uh usually head out on Sunday and uh check it out for a couple hours and then uh lift on back to mom and dad's house and have a uh, little birthday celebration with the family so it it was always a good time
0: okay i'm i'm glad that you actually did some sort of celebration cuz had i known you were just going to be editing Terrell Suggs footage the entire time on your birthday. I would have invaded your house like a waiter at Texas Roadhouse bringing you dessert and clapping and making sure that you felt that celebration. So I'm glad you were able to do that. And speaking of the uh, the Terrell Suggs uh, documentary, you put the, f- the final touches on it, Jordan. Uh, what can we expect from this second and final part when we watch it?
2: Yeah, so the with the second one, um, you know, at end of first one, we kind of teased a new coaching staff coming in. That was the Dirt Cutter era, um, and uh, some some key assistants um, uh, coaches came into Terrell's life at that time. So we kind of teased that. So get, go into the um, that relationship. Um, also, that 2002 season he had, where he had 24 sacks. Um, and, and also led the nation in tackles for loss. So, um, we highlight some key games there, um, including the, the game against Washington where he had four and a half sacks and six and a half tackles for loss. Like you just don't see stat lines like that anymore. Um, so we got Rick Neuheisel and Cody Pickett, um, who was on the receiving end of a, of a lot of those big hits. Um, and then Bobby Wade and, and Terrell also kind of recapped that, that territorial cup game. Then it goes into uh, you know, draft prep um and what that looked like for him. Um ha- you know, he really wanted to go to the Arizona Cardinals at six. They end up trading out. So how did he feel when he saw that happen? And, you know, got some members of the Ravens to talk about uh, you know, Brian Billick said, like, yeah, we were doing draft prep and you know, got to Terrell and Ozzie Newsom, the the GM at the time, said, Oh yeah, let let's go through this, but let's make it quick because there's no way he's gonna be here. Mm-hmm. Uh and then he ended up Falling to them and then, you know, kind of put final segment, kind of put a bow on uh, the documentary and, you know, really quickly kind of recap his NFL career, but also just kind of the impact he made on the high school and college ranks here in Arizona. So, okay. um, so yeah, it was, I feel like this could have been an eight parter, um, in some ways, uh-huh. uh, but, you know, we, we got it down to two and, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it really moved and it's really, you know, lean and tight. And so, uh, so yeah, it was fun putting together.
0: When you talk about, some of the best players to ever come out of the state of Arizona, both offense and defense, in your opinion, where do you put Terrell Suggs? In terms of college players, high school players? Uh, high school players, just, you know, guys who were just so dominant at the high school level.
2: Yeah, I mean, with Terrell, I
0: feel it, it
2: he's such an interesting case because he really only got one true year at the varsity level um, with Hamilton, um, and he was a running back. So that's that's the other really interesting part there. Yeah. Um, you know, I would I would put him, of course, you know, uh, up in that upper echelon. Um, but you know, it, it's not like he had like those three or four years like Bijan Robinson or Christian Kirk yeah. um, or Bobby Wade. Uh, you know, Bobby is you know he was the one that uh, you know Terrell revered in high school. Um, and that sort of thing. But I would definitely put him kind of in that group of just like these dudes that, you know, it was, you know, th- these were Avengers amongst boys, not men amongst boys. They they were like superheroes against these guys. So, um, yeah, I mean, it- it's when you see a talent like that, like you remember when you, you know, you see some of those high, high end prospects or high school players, you know, back when they were, you know, had all this potential in front of them and that sort of thing. And it's especially gratifying seeing them take advantage and, um, you know, build off of that each and every year.
0: Jordan Hamm from Sports 360 AZ joining Spears and Ali on ESPN Radio. Make sure you uh, check out his documentary on Terrell Suggs at Sports360AZ.com. And uh, he's also tweeted out some links as well. Uh, Jordan, moving on to national signing day uh you were down here in tucson uh to speak with jet fish you and uh uh, your colleague brad Sesmat, and it was a very quiet day uh for national signing day for the arizona wildcats not much activity but what did you take away just from the jet fish press conference and what's going on with the arizona football team
2: yeah it was quiet because they got a lot of work done early um you know and and i think uh you saw in the last recruiting class the jumps that they made on the offensive side and the type of players they were able to to bring in um and with this class i I don't think it's as high of a degree uh, of a jump but like they really addressed the defensive side of the ball like it was clear in the transfers that they brought in it was clear in a lot of the top prospects they brought in uh, at the high school ranks so um I think that's the side, you know, year two with Johnny Nansen as the uh, as the D.C., I think it's going to be really big for them. And if they're going to take that next step, that's probably, you know, you want the, the offense to maintain or even take, you know, maybe one more step. But you want to see that progress and that depth um, that U of A, um, for U of A to do that and, and you know, kind of take that next step. With the defense, I mean, I feel like top end, they were pretty darn good. Last year, it was just they, you know, it's a game of attrition. You know, you you need to have that next man up, and and I feel like they just lacked that depth. They had the, the comparable, um, you know, team one in, in terms of Pac-12, but you know, it was that that second team and third team where they you they really kind of got exploited. So um, adding that depth, I think, is going to be really important. Um, you know, Justin Flo, I think, is going to be huge. I think it's just massive that he you know, is going to U of A even if he has a fine career. It's the fact that he was a highly touted guy, a five star guy, and he chose U of A to, you know, have it be his home um after Oregon. So I think that's a that's a really big deal. And they you could tell just in the trenches, they really tried to address that. Um so I think it's you know, now the the expectations are there. You know, yep. they made a great jump in year two and now with year three, uh, you know, five and seven probably isn't gonna cut it. You need you want that bowl game, you know, probably at least another win on top of that. So you're thinking like seven, eight wins for U of A for them to continue that that trajectory that they've been on.
0: What's the what's one newcomer you're really excited to watch? I mean, you mentioned Justin Flo, but man, outside of him, Arizona's got a lot of really talented newcomers through the transfer portal and through the high school ranks.
2: Yeah, I mean, I really, I think just like the way that they addressed the front seven, uh, in the transfer portal, um, and, um, you know, got, got some guys from the SEC, uh, along yeah. that defensive line. I think that's going to be really, really fun to watch. Um, and you know, I don't think it's in obviously an immediate thing here, but Braden Dorman, like I got to see him in Colorado. Uh, play and I feel like I didn't get the full Braden Dorman treatment. It was a lot of screen passes and things like that. And I think that spoke more to the defense they were playing, but like, you know you just think of what how that quarterback room has changed in the last two years. And now it's just like they have dude after dude after dude. And, you know, Jane Delora obviously is the guy, but it's going to be interesting to see, like, Braden's a little bit different flavor compared to the other quarterbacks in that room. Like, he's a, a bit more of a pocket passer, you know, obviously has a lot more size than them. Um, so seeing him kind of take on that Jed Fish offense over the coming years is going to be really, really interesting.
0: Jordan, before we let you go, uh, ASU man, they brought in a boatload of guys. How many prospects do they end up finishing getting with? Because I feel like they were in the 40s last time I checked.
2: Yeah, they're about it, and it changes based on like who has officially signed and who is like committed. I think it's right around about 43 right now.
0: Jeez, okay. Um, and are are these guys talented players? Is this you know they're just getting quantity over quality? Like, what do you make of Kenny Dillingham's first recruiting class?
2: You know, I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. Um, You know, one thing he addressed was, like, their sophomore class is wildly small when Kenny took over. So, um, you know, for a lot of – some of these transfers, like, yeah, they might be developmental guys. They might be guys that, um, you know, they may, may not see the field immediately, but down the road they could be contributors. Um, and, you know, they did something similar you, to U of A, um, what they did a couple of years ago, with they had a lot of bounce-back guys, a lot of Arizona high school guys that were, had really good careers, spent a year or two elsewhere – and then decided, you know what, I want to come home. Guys like Crew Jackson, who played at Queen Creek, and like just a really, really long player. He's going to end up being a linebacker. I think he's going to be similar in terms of frame to Eric Gentry. Like, I don't think anyone's expecting him to come in right away and contribute, but like the potential is through the roof there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know the the big news was Jaden Rashada yesterday. The the four star quarterback, he was signed with Florida. Um, asked for his uh, LOI release on January twentieth after um, you know a lot of I don't know if it was confusion, miscommunication, potentially just dishonesty of like what the um, NIL looked like for him, but. Um, something happened and, uh, so he, he asked for his release and, um, you know, Kenny Dillingham had a really good relationship with, uh, uh Jaden and his family and, uh, actually his dad played at ASU in the 90s. Mm. Um, so he's now coming to ASU, um, and is just another guy. Now, you know, same thing. You look at that quarterback room. It's Drew Pine from Notre Dame. It's Jacob Conover from BYU. It's Rashada. It's Trenton Bourget, who is the, Uh, incumbent starter um and you know kenny has already said week one for spring ball like trenton's going to be the number one qb and and we'll let the the competition play out from there so there's a lot of really intriguing options there in the quarterback room all of a sudden when it looked um you know a little bit thin uh coming out of this past year
0: jordan ham from sports 360 az joining spears and ali on espn radio Be sure to follow him on Twitter and check out his Terrell Suggs documentary at Sports360AZ.com. Jordan, love you. You're the man. And once again, happy belated birthday, my friend.
2: Love you too, brother. I appreciate you.
0: Thank you. All right, coming up next on Spears and Ali, let's talk about the legacy of Tom Brady. Who's the next greatest of all time? Plus, the Pro Bowl is for the birds. We're talking NFL right here on Spears and Ali. Andrew, you'll appreciate this. Well, on this day in sports history, uh, Scotty Bowman, the longtime NHL coach, uh, became the first coach in NHL NHL history to win 1000 games. Scotty Bowman coached for the St. Louis Blues, Montreal hey, 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 Canadiens, hey, hey. the Buffalo Sabres, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Detroit Red Wings. Coached for some very notable franchises.
1: Yes, he did. This guy's
0: like the uh it's like the Phil Jackson of NHL. Who is who is the greatest hockey coach of all time? Wow. In in your own opinion. Because like I, I can do basketball no problem. Like I could do you know NFL, but obviously I'm not this big hockey savant. You're you're our in house hockey guy. <laughs> so I'm like, oh Andrew I might probably know. I don't know enough like
1: coach Coaches? history right yeah. now to to give you that answer. I
0: well well Scotty, well, Scotty Bowman.
1: he definitely tell you who the most hated is who? Uh John
0: Tortorella Okay, why is that? Um, just ask his players. <laughs> 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 Word. <laughs> Word. All right, but let's talk some NFL here. Um, as, as we all know, the Pro Bowl is coming up here, and the Pro Bowl is just going to be awful television. I mean, it was already once awful t- TV. Oh, man. I know that Give these guys chance. are the best at what they do. But the people want to see star power when it comes to the Pro Bowl. That's why people tune in. They want to see the best of the best play against each other. Yes, I know it's a a watered-down scrimmage, so guys really aren't trying their best. Because it's the end of the season, right? These guys are injured. They've been banged up all season long. They're not trying to be a magnet for more injuries during the Pro Bowl. So they're kind of taking a light, unless you're, uh, rest in peace, Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor His Pro Bowl highlights are just absolutely insane. That guy laid the wood (laughs) in the Pro Bowl. Just look up the the Sean Taylor hit in the Pro Bowl there. But um, the the Pro Bowl is just a a product that it's at the end of the season. It brings all the stars into one place. And it's a made-for-TV event. And it's not really what it used to be anymore. The the best of the best would go out and play. But since... You know, a lot of stars are usually hurt at the end of the season. Now guys are like, ah, I'm sitting out of the Pro Bowl. I'm not going to participate. I got to go get my rib worked on. Like Justin Herbert, he's got to get shoulder surgery. Um, You have Josh Allen dealing with injuries. You have Joe Burrow also dealing with injuries. All these star quarterbacks have all had long seasons, and they're just trying to rest up, recover, and get ready for the next season. So with these guys, the star quarterbacks, not playing in the Pro Bowl, they got to call into backups. Hey, somebody's got to play quarterback in the Pro Bowl. So the AFC, they have so many injuries. Here are the quarterbacks for the AFC in the Pro Bowl. Snoop Huntley. For those who don't know who Snoop Huntley is, Tyler Huntley. He's the backup quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Snoop? Snoop. Oh, that's his nickname. Tyler uh, Snoop Huntley. Um, Are you saying Snoop? Snoop. Snoop. Like Snoop Snoop Dogg. Mm -hmm. Snoopy. Yeah, Snoop Dogg. That's his nickname. I think that's um, taken, Tyler. Y- yeah, you can't. <laughs> well, I didn't... Not for nothing, but I think that's taken. But he got, it, I think he recently got this this nickname because I don't remember him going by Snoop when he was at Utah. But he goes by Snoop Huntley now. hes He threw five touchdowns this year. He threw five touchdowns this year. And he's playing in the Pro Bowl. Uh, let's see who else they got. Trevor Lawrence. I get it. Hey, Doug Peterson, the, the Jaguars. They had a really good year this year. I totally understand getting Trevor Lawrence in. Former number one overall pick, viewed as a guy that's a part of this next great generation of quarterbacks, along with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. I get putting Trevor Lawrence in. But let's look at the other quarterback they have. Derek Carr from the Las Vegas Raiders. The guy who got benched for Jared Stidham. The guy who's on the trade block, probably going to, you know, not probably, he is going to be playing for another team next season. He's, playing, he's representing the Raiders in the Pro Bowl. Those are your Pro Bowl quarterbacks for the AFC. Just just nasty. Just absolutely nasty. And you know what? Derek Carr, this is actually his fourth Pro Bowl. Derek Carr has just as many Pro Bowls as Kurt Warner, Eli Manning, Matt Ryan, Drew Bledsoe, and Randall Cunningham. I mean, mm-hmm. those are great quarterbacks. I mean, Derek Carr, I respect him for everything that he's had to deal with regarding the Raiders organization for the last couple of years, but for Derek Carr to be mentioned in the same sentence as those guys, I don't know, just a little off, a little, little off. But anyways, uh, Pro Bowl, not going to be watching it this year, don't really care about it. I mean, never really cared about it over the last several years, and now that we got Derek Carr and Tyler Huntley and Trevor Lawrence playing quarterback for the AFC, yeah, just don't really care about it. You just hate flag football. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah I mean that's pretty much what it is uh all right, the legacy of Tom Brady, so as we all know, Tom Brady retired yesterday announcing it on a beach, getting emotional, talking about all the the opponents his teammates
1: yeah, where was how he, he how
0: he's so thankful it looked like he was outside of like a hotel a motel or a holiday inn at in fort lauderdale, and I don't it like it was like a literally like a two star three star hotel in in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And you hear like a plane go over. That's the thing, is like he's getting emotional and you just hear this sh- just flying over Tom Brady. Maybe that's foreshadowing. Maybe he becomes a new quarterback of the Jets and it's like it was right there in our, in front of our faces. He's announcing his retirement and then there's a the plane flying over. Should have known he was going to the Jets. That's why he was that's yeah. why he was on that he knew it was a it was a causeway. Yeah. That's how Tom Brady works. He saw it in the distance, he's like, All right, start the video, start the video. Um the real ones will know. <clears throat> but it's crazy how his career started as sixth-round pick out of Michigan. He won at Michigan, but then became a sixth-round pick to the New England Patriots, was a backup to Drew Bledsoe, and then Drew Bledsoe getting hurt, and him going in there and becoming Tom Brady. Like It's crazy how Tom Brady's story started. And I think uh, Drew Bledsoe's got to be the one who inducts him into the Hall of Fame. Drew Bledsoe's got to be the one who either tells him that he's being inducted or he's inducting him at his ceremony cuz uh if that doesn't happen what what's the legacy of Tom Brady what what happens i mean does he does he go on and win multiple super bowls i don't know but man Tom Brady what a career man what an absolute career and he set a benchmark that's going to be so hard to to duplicate or even get close to it And I think out of all the quarterbacks right now who are capable of getting to that level, I think really the only one is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's already playing in his third Super Bowl this year. He's already got one. If he can get two and he's got several years left to play, uh, sky's the limit for a guy like Patrick Mahomes. And so right now, Tom Brady, without a doubt, seven Super Bowls, greatest quarterback of all time, did it with two different teams, but Patrick Mahomes, I think, right now is on a very similar trajectory to Chase Tom Brady. But it's going to be a tall task for Patrick Mahomes. He's got to win a lot more games and obviously got to win a few more Super Bowls to be even considered a Tom Brady type of quarterback. All right, uh, we ran out of time to discuss the Arizona Cardinals coaching situation because oh, uh, darn. they don't got anybody right now. Uh, Vance Joseph, is it going to be Brian Flores? Brian Flores. I don't know. I think it's going to come down to either one of those two guys, uh, and and we'll see what the Arizona Cardinals do. Anyways, we'll talk more NFL during tomorrow's Spears and Ali. But coming up next, if you want a $100 gift certificate for Bookstore Southwest Adult Shop, we're giving one away coming up next. And you don't have to come on air to accept it. So,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> we'll be just as discreet as you like. So no one's going to know... Who's going to win this gift certificate? (laughs) So if you want to win this for your significant other, for yourself, whatever, we're giving away a $100 gift certificate for Bookstore Southwest Adult Shop coming up next right here on ESPN Tucson. It's time for our giveaway. We teased it going into the break. Now it's time to give it away. Give it away, give it away, give it away now. Strangely topical song. (laughs) We're giving away a $100 gift certificate For Bookstore Southwest Adult Shop. If you want this gift certificate, again, it's $100. Yeah. Call in at 719-1490, 719-1490. Caller numero uno is getting that gift certificate. $100 to Bookstore Southwest Adult Shop. And uh, we will be emailing those gift certificates. And uh, those gift certificates will be emailed no later than February 8th. So if you want this $100 gift certificate for Bookstore Southwest Adult Shop don't be shy. Call in right now 719-1490 719-1490 call in number 1 getting that gift certificate.
1: $100 gift certificate man, you can get the one that plugs into the wall. <laughs>
0: it's all it's located at 5754 East Speedway and a little bit uh, near Craycroft. So uh they're helping Tucsonans keep their sanity and relationships with the sale of products for over 33 years. It's uh, local and family-owned with the best prices and uh, largest selection of adult products in Tucson. So, again, 719-1490, caller number one, getting that gift certificate. All right, so we got a few minutes left here. Uh, I was uh, scrolling through Twitter yesterday, and I saw uh, Big Game Boomer. They tweeted out a list of most likable and unlikable coaches in college basketball. And they put Tommy Lloyd on the unlikable list. I was really shocked by that. Hmm. So in terms of unlikable dudes, Big Game Boomer had John Calipari at number one, Tom Izzo number two, Jim Boeheim number three, Eric Musselman number four, and Jawan Howard at number five. And they had Tommy Lloyd at number twenty-one as most unlikable head coaches. How's Tommy Lloyd unlikable? He's one of the nicest guys ever. They they win. But they win with class, right? I mean Arizona's not really a team that people absolutely hate outside of well, maybe Kirk krisa uh, Kirk, Kirk Krisa walking yeah. off the court doing the horn frogs thing when they beat t c u
1: that's only t c u
0: fans were pissed about that uh and said that's I mean, not classy, but
1: they they weren't exactly being classy themselves
0: that's a good point, a very good point there um but I don't ever consider Tommy Lloyd to be an unlikable guy. And if you look at, like, the unlikable list, Dana Altman's on the list, Um, Bobby Hurley is on the list, Mick Cronin is on the list, Uh, Mark Few, Gonzaga, on the list, Tommy Lloyd, Mike Hopkins from Washington, Wayne Tinkle from Oregon State. They have, like, all these West Coast guys all on the unlikable list. And then you look at likable, number one is Bruce Pearl. How's Bruce? From? From uh, Auburn. The ah, the guy who's... Dealt with a lot of NCAA issues. That guy's is likable. They put Bill Self at number six as the most likable coach in college basketball. I'm like, huh. The guy who's also dealt with NCAA slash federal issues. And then amid a federal investigation regarding pay for play, because they, they were involved in a whole Adidas scandal, during their... Midnight in Lawrence or whatever the red-blue game equivalent is at the University of Kansas, they had Snoop Dogg come out and perform. But one thing they didn't take into account is that Snoop Dogg has backup dancers. And those backup dancers have money guns. Mm -hmm. So when you're in the middle of an investigation for for pay-for-play and Snoop Dogg's backup (laughs) dancers are shooting out money guns (laughs) at your arena... Not necessarily the best look. Sounds like a football <laughs> school fan
1: uh, just really doesn't like that a lot of people are better at basketball than they are. <laughs> I guess <laughs> so. I guess.
0: <laughs> All right, well, that'll do it for this episode of Spears and Ali. Coming up next, Grizzlies taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers. We'll be back tomorrow to recap Arizona versus Oregon at McKell Center. Tip-off for that game is set for 830. Appreciate you guys.